Good morning, Christ Prez. Our scripture today is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 31. It's such a long passage. I encourage you to pause this now and to uh, read that if you haven't already done so. 1 Corinthians 12, chapter, uh, chapter 12, verses 4 through 31. So during my sabbatical, I started cooking more, which is to say I started cooking. <laughs> because I'm still really early on in my cooking journey, it helps for me to have a recipe and to follow um, a clear set of instructions. You know, some people can go into the kitchen and start throwing things together, and at the end of the chaos, a beautiful, delicious meal emerges. Well, I can't do that. I need a recipe with, with very specific step-by-step -step instructions. Do this, then do this, etc. I want to explore this passage uh, with that question in mind, with this question in mind. Is there a recipe for a grateful church? What ingredients do we need for that? What are the steps to follow? What makes for a grateful church? And on the other hand, are there ingredients that we really ought to avoid? Things that will make the Grateful Church meal tastes really bad. Elements that might throw a wet blanket on the flame of gratitude just as we're really getting cooking. So let's look at a recipe for Grateful Church and as we go along, we'll give a sideways kind of disapproving look at some dangers to gratitude in the Christian community. Okay, so first, here's the first thing that our little imaginary recipe card would say. See the good in Christian community. If you were here last week, remember that we talked about how both gratitude and ingratitude are connected to what we notice and what we fail to notice. Um, and, and that simple point applies to Christian community. A grateful church sees the good of the community, pays attention to the good, and focuses on the good. Listen again to verses 3 through 7 of our passage. Paul writes, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. See, Paul sees the church as a community that has been showered by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with a wide variety and diversity of good gifts. He sees people serving and loving each other with the gifts God has poured into their lives. And within and behind all of those activities of service and love, Paul sees the grace of God. God is the one who empowers all of it. He makes it all possible. God is at work through the work of the people. I bet right now you could call to mind a way that you have been blessed by someone's gifts at Christ Prez, or a way that you've been served by someone in the Christ Prez community. You can call to mind a way that someone in the church has cared for you. See, all of that is a gift of God's good grace. That is God's good work in your life. We can help cultivate a grateful church by highlighting the good of Christian community, seeing it, acknowledging it, pointing it out, saying, this is good, this is good. Now, let's give a sideways disapproving look at the danger that goes along with this. What is it? It's complaining, grumbling. And you know, it's, it's never that hard to find things to grumble and complain about within the church. Because let's be honest, the church can be a mess. I mean, it's full of complicated people who regularly fail to love God and others. It's full of people like you and like me. So it's never hard to find things to complain about. But complaining is a gratitude killer. God's people have always struggled with this. Think of Israel in the wilderness after God has liberated them from slavery in Egypt. 
He's leading them to the promised land. And what do they begin to do? Grumble. They complain. They complain that they had it better back in Egypt. They begin to focus not on the reality that God has rescued them from bondage and is leading them to the promised land, but rather on the reality that they're hungry, that the food out there in the wilderness isn't quite up to the standards they were used to back in Egypt. The grumbling kills their gratitude. C.S. Lewis had a strong word of warning about complaining. He writes this, quote, Hell begins with a grumbling mood, always complaining, always blaming others. But for a while, you are still distinct from it. You may even criticize it in yourself and wish you could stop it. But there may come a day when you can no longer. Then there will be no you left to criticize the mood or even to enjoy it, but just the grumble itself going on forever like a machine. It is not a question of God sending us to hell. In each of us, there is something growing which will be hell unless it is nipped in the bud. So the invitation here is to nip the complaining in the bud, nip the grumbling in the bud. Gratitude and ingratitude both are connected to what we pay attention to. And I wonder what kind of posture you tend to have toward the church. Are you practiced at looking for the good and highlighting it and celebrating it? Or do you tend more often to carry a critique, a negative evaluation, a complaint, a grumble? I've been chewing on this from Dietrich Bonhoeffer's little book, Life Together. He writes, quote, Because God has bound us together in one body with other Christians in Jesus Christ, long before we entered into common life with them, we enter into that common life not as demanders, but as thankful recipients. We thank God for what he has done for us. We thank God for giving us brothers and sisters who live by his call, by his forgiveness and his promise. We do not complain of what God does not give us. We rather thank God for what he does give us daily and is not what has been given us enough. Brothers and sisters who will go on living with us through sin and need under the blessing of his grace. Is the divine gift of Christian fellowship anything less than this, even on the most difficult and distressing days? Even when sin and misunderstanding burden the communal life, is not the sinning brother still a brother with whom I too stand under the word of Christ? Will not his sin be a constant occasion for me to give thanks that both of us may live in the forgiving love of God in Jesus Christ? Thus the very hour of disillusionment with my brother becomes incomparably salutary because it so thoroughly teaches me that neither of us can ever live by our own words and deeds, but only by that one word indeed, which really binds us together, the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. When the morning mists of our dreams for Christian community vanish, then dawns the bright day of true Christian community. Bonhoeffer goes on and he writes this, quote, if we do not give thanks daily for the Christian community in which we have been placed, even where there is no great experience, no discoverable riches, but instead much weakness, small faith, and difficulty. If, on the contrary, we only keep complaining to God that everything is so paltry and petty, so far from what we expected, then we hinder God from letting our community grow according to the measure and riches which are there for us all in Jesus Christ. Close quote. Family, isn't that just a remarkable perspective? A perspective that can find reasons for gratitude even in the community's sin and frailty and weakness. Now, before moving on, one caveat. 
It can be concerning to hear a pastor say to his congregation, focus on the good, complaining kills gratitude, don't grumble. And it can be concerning because it, it can be self-serving, right? That could be used to sweep dark things under the rug, and it could be used to cover over abuse, and it could lead a community to live under the illusion that everything is fine and good when everything is not fine and good. And I don't want to do that, and I know you don't want to do that either. And so this is the caveat. There can be a legitimate, necessary, even good kind of complaining in the church. Sometimes what the Christian community most desperately needs, in fact, is a strong critique. There's a kind of critique and complaint that is done in love and that actually serves the common good of the church. So please don't hear me saying that there's no place for a good complaint. There absolutely is. The danger I'm wanting to alert us to is, is a blanket kind of dissatisfaction and grumbling and complaining that we carry around with us as a basic posture. See, that makes gratitude in the church unsustainable. I hope that makes sense. Anyway, that's our first step, the first part of this recipe, see the good of Christian community. Second is this, recognize your need of Christian community and the community's need of you. The psychologist Robert Emmons writes this, quote, the self by itself is a very poor place to find happiness or meaning in life. Gratitude takes us outside ourselves. It requires that we affirm our dependency on others and recognize that we need to receive that which we cannot provide for ourselves. Close quote. It's like in order to arrive at the delicious meal of gratitude, we have to see that we are needy, that we aren't able to sustain ourselves, that we're dependent on others. And that's a posture of humility. Season with humility, the recipe might say. In our passage, Paul likens the body of Christ, the Christian community, to a human body with all the different parts working together in mutual dependence upon one another. Listen again to verses 21 and 22. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the, he the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Paul wants us to know that we need each other. I wonder if you believe that. I wonder if you believe that you need the people in your church. And also, I wonder if you believe that they need you. I wonder if you understand that they are indispensable to the body of Christ, and so are you. You see, it's not just that you need community. The community needs you. Whenever you withdraw from community, not only are you depriving yourself of the gifts that God has given for you in community, you're depriving the community of God's gifts that are meant to flow through you. Can you recognize your need of the community and the community's need of you? That's an essential ingredient for a grateful church. If we come into community with no sense of our neediness, no expectation that God will meet our needs through our relationships with one another, then we won't be thankful when the needs are met. Seeing your need and putting yourself in the humble position of being able to receive from the community helps to cultivate gratitude. Well, what's the danger that goes along with this? Coveting. Coveting is wanting what someone else has, and coveting kills gratitude. Coveting makes this meal taste gross. You know, generally, when we're focused on what others have, it's harder to see what we have, and therefore harder to be grateful for what we have. 
But coveting is a particular danger when it comes to recognizing our need for Christian community because coveting tries to bypass our neediness. It's a way of seeking self-sufficiency. It's a way of trying to get to a place where I can be an isolated disciple with no need for Christian brothers and sisters. I want what they have, but I don't want them. Paul asks, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? And the implied answer is no. And remember, this is a really good thing. This is how it's supposed to be. You're not supposed to have all the gifts in yourself. You're not supposed to be an apostle, a prophet, a teacher, and a healer. You're supposed to have to rely on the community for these gifts. You're supposed to be needy. When I covet, I want what you have because I want to be self-sufficient. I don't want to have to depend on you. I want what you have because if I have what you have, I won't need you. Do you see how sad this is? God's good plan is to meet our needs in and through the community. When we covet, we want what others have so that we don't have to receive from them. But it's precisely the receiving that makes for a grateful church. Which leads us to our next point, but first a quick recap. So first, see the good of Christian community. Second, recognize your need of Christian community. Now third, receive the gifts of Christian community. Receiving gifts makes for a grateful church. And what are these gifts? Well, they're gifts from God. They're spiritual gifts, or more literally, grace gifts. But what becomes so clear in our passage is that the gifts of Christian community are inseparable from the people. It's, it's almost like the people just are the gifts. And so when I say receive the gifts of Christian community, I mean receive each other. A grateful church is a community that mutually receives one another as gifts from God. I've shared this from Rowan Williams before, but I'll share it again because I like it so much. He writes, quote, The first thing we ought to think of when in the presence of another Christian is, what is Christ giving me through this person? Given that we may not always see eye to eye with each other, that can be hard work. But nonetheless, Jesus has brought us together so that we approach one another with that degree of expectancy. It doesn't mean that you will agree with everything the other Christian says or does. Simply that you begin by asking, what is Jesus Christ giving me here and now? Close quote. You see, what is Jesus Christ giving me here and now through you? What is he giving you here and now through me? These are questions that help us attend to grace. They help us notice the good. They get us ready to receive the gifts God is pouring into our community. Now, if you look at your imaginary recipe card, you'll notice this warning. Avoid comparisons. Comparing can be another gratitude killer. Comparing can ruin this meal. It's closely related to coveting. Comparing gets our attention off the good gifts God has given us and gets us thinking about how our gifts stack up against the gifts of others in community. Comparing can easily get me thinking that you might have a reason to be grateful. Look at all the gifts you have, but I don't. Comparing carries an assumption that if you have the gift, I can't have the gift. Or if you have the gift, the only way for me to have it is to have it in the same way. It's kind of a zero-sum game. But that's not how bodies work, is it? And that's not how the body of Christ works. In the body, every member of a body is a gift to the whole body. Whatever gifts one member has, the, the whole body has. 
I can experience the riches of God's gifts to the church through other people precisely because I don't have all the gifts myself. This is a good thing. So there's no need to compare gifts. That will usually lead to ingratitude. Instead, joyfully receive the gifts God gives to the community, which come in and through and as your brothers and sisters in Christ. All right, so see the good of Christian community. Recognize your need of Christian community. Receive the gifts of Christian community. And now last, enter the care of the Christian community. If we want to experience a grateful church, we've got to enter into this flow of love within the body. God has brought us into the body of Christ so that we can both receive and give care. Paul writes, God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Let's dig into this a little bit. What is Paul saying? Well, think about the metaphor. When one part of your body is hurt, your whole body suffers. Or think about a family. Every now and then throughout the year, one of our sons will come home with a, with a sniffle, a head cold, and, and I'll think, oh no. Um, not so much because I'm concerned about them, but because I know that it's only a matter of time before I start to share in their sufferings. You know, we share pretty much everything in our household, including our germs. And so it's pretty much impossible for one of us to suffer without the other suffering. In the same way, when, when one of the boys is honored, well, that rubs off on me a little. It's easy for me to rejoice with them. Paul says that when the Christian community is really being a community, we will share in each other's sufferings and joys. And so grateful communities rejoice with one another. If one part of the body is honored, every part rejoices with it. There's an invitation here for us to notice gifts and contributions and to celebrate those, to honor those. How can we celebrate the ways that God has given gifts to the people around us? Well, grateful communities also suffer with one another. How do you suffer with someone? If another part of the body is suffering, how can you enter into that suffering with him or her? I think this is, this is um, related to what Paul says in some of his other letters about bearing one another's burdens. And so, for example, in Galatians, he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The image of bearing another's burdens helps us to see at least one of the ways that we're called to suffer together. What does it mean to bear another's burdens? If I'm suffering under a heavy load, the only way you can bear my burden is by coming alongside me and, and letting some of my burden, some of my suffering, slide onto you. And you know how this works. Let's say one of us is suffering emotionally. Well, how do we share the burden? Well, we go and we be with that person. And we listen and we pray. And if you do that over time, often that does relieve some of the burden. They feel a little bit better after you're being with them and listening and praying. But you know this, some of their burden, some of their suffering has come on to you. And, and so you might actually feel a little bit heavier, a little bit worse. If you're really identifying with them, really caring for them, you'll become emotionally burdened too. You can't take on the burden of another person without sharing in their suffering. I mean, what if someone is suffering under a financial burden? What does it mean to suffer with them? What would, what would bearing their burden require? Well, it would probably mean a willingness to open up our wallets. It would mean coming alongside them and actually letting some of their burden slide over onto us. 
I mean, isn't this what it means to, to really be concerned for one another? Isn't this what it means to really care for one another? Love that says, I'm willing to help you as long as it never inconveniences me, or as long as I'm never burdened, or as long as I never have to suffer. Well, it's not really love at all, is it? We can give the gift of love by suffering and rejoicing with each other. This mutual care makes for a grateful church. Grateful not only in its rejoicing, but also in its suffering. So, let's review this recipe card. See the good of Christian community. Don't add complaints. Recognize your need of Christian community. Don't covet. Receive the gifts of Christian community. Don't compare. Enter the care of Christian community. Suffer and rejoice together. I wonder how you feel about all of that. It's kind of a lot, isn't it? I know for me, when I'm in the kitchen, even a four-step recipe like that can be kind of intimidating. I would definitely need some help in the kitchen with this one. Did you think that we were going to have to do this all alone? Here at the end, let me come clean. The gratitude meal isn't one that we have to prepare. It's like we're off the hook. There's a better chef in the house, a better host. There's one who doesn't just suffer with us, but suffers for us and in our place. There's one who rejoices with us and over us perfectly. Remember that when we come to this table, we come not because we've perfected the grateful church meal, but because we haven't and we can't. We come not because we followed the recipe so well, but because we've often done it so poorly. We come not because we see clearly the way to gratitude, but because we're often confused about it. We come not because we've arrived at the pinnacle of gratitude, but because we're on the way. We come not because we're full, but because we're hungry. And so family, Jesus invites you to this table and he's saying, I want your company. I want to be in community with you. And he's saying that not only to you, but also to the person next to you. Can you see his goodness? And can you see your need for him? He has good gifts for us here. Maybe we should say he has the good gift for us here. Because here, the giver is the gift. Here, we receive nothing less than Jesus Christ himself. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.